Nation podcast, and if you ask me, the Madden cover should be Tom Brady and Joe Montana, but for some reason, it's going to be Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady, and we're not going to have that conversation on this podcast, but just know, EA, you messed up. You messed up, and I'm mad. With me, as always, is Leo Luna of 49ersGoldMine.com. How are you doing, man? Uh, I'm doing uh, I'm doing great, because I have no fish story this week. I, thankfully, uh, Sebastian, the new fish in my house, lasted through the week. So uh, I did not have to make another trip to Petco like the week prior. And and hey, you know what? What's, what's the what's the end story with with EA? Did Joe Montana not want to not want to do it or, you know, I, I, I guess that'll come out sometime in the future. They haven't actually announced it yet, but I know it's going to be Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes, and I'm just disappointed in them because I just know it's coming. With us this week is a guest. We got Johnny Venerable of the Revenge of the Birds podcast to talk about the Arizona Cardinals. How are you doing, man? Gentlemen, what's going on? Thanks for having me. Uh, not a whole lot. We got a. Uh, it's the dead period, so we're gonna do. We're doing an NFC West preview. We're going through the division. You're first, but I have bad news for you. The reason you're first is because we think you're gonna finish last in the division. <laughs> It's the dead period. You might as well talk about the dead birds, right? <laughs> I don't think the the difference is, and I and we'll talk more about this. The Cardinals aren't a bad football team. That's the biggest problem. Is like it's just they're in this division where the Rams now have a quarterback for Sean McVay. The Seahawks have Russell Wilson with a crap roster, and then you guys have Kyler Murray. But your defense, you know, we still don't know exactly what it is because we don't know which JJ Watt you're getting. So but let's start. Let's talk about it. You know. What's changed since the last time we talked to you, Johnny? We had you on last year, right after the Niners lost to that uh, lost your team first game of the season. Jimmy Garoppolo looked like trash. Since then, the Niners have now thought about moving on to the next quarterback, but you know we don't know who the quarterback is for our team. We obviously know who the quarterback is for your team. So let's talk. What's changed with with the Arizona Cardinals going into the twenty twenty three season? Well, it's it's the third year of a rebuild. Uh, They bought him out in 2019, uh, the 2018 season, I should say, and have gutted the roster, turned it over. I objectively, and most Cardinal fans know, I kind of toe the line between, you know, fandom and being realistic because I'm, you know, 33 and I've I've seen this team lose a lot um, and I'm not like a 17 year old fan. Um, But I I think objectively they have a top 12 ish roster in the NFL. and that's a, a kudos to Steve Kime, their GM, who catches a lot of flack. Not certainly not perfect, uh, but he has made uh, some nice moves over the course of this rebuild. But this is entering year three. I think the roster is in a position. Listen, listen the roster was good enough to make the postseason last year. Oh, yeah. They had a better roster than Chicago did that got into the postseason. Um, their coaching was subpar. Down the stretch the, when they the dreaded CJ Beathard, and then you just—that's right. They lost to back to back week sixteen. For those of you, your viewers that that don't follow Cardinal football closely, after that week sixteen Niner loss, they they played uh, the Rams and they were playing their backup, and Kyler Murray started that game, went down, and, and so they lost with the postseason on the line in back to back weeks. They lost to backup quarterbacks. Um, I think this roster is better than last year, and I think that their record will be worse than last year. Even with year three for Kyler Murray, which should be the quintessential pop year, they've got the same head coach and defensive coordinator for the third consecutive year. You would think that would spell success for most teams. They bring in a player, the stalwart of, of J.J. Watt, who, listen, I don't think he, he's what he once was. He's not going to be you know, contributing 20-plus-digit sack seasons. 
But their five techniques on their defensive line since Calais Campbell left have been below average at best. Uh, he's going to be an improvement for them. And I think that the people who look at that as a cash grab, the Cardinals were desperate for an upgrade before they even signed J.J. Watt at that position. They would have gone out and thrown money at somebody else. So it just kind of coincided, and, and Watt has been so far the ideal teammate and, and could be. I mean, you, you think back to that Week 16 game last year, and I don't want to harp too much on last year, but that game really dictated so much. Think about think about the outcome of that game if, if it goes differently. Cardinals win that game. They're in the postseason. The Niners lose that game. Does Robert Sala become a head coach? That was really kind of the quintessential Robert Sala performance last year. The Niners have a worse record, so maybe they don't have to give up as much to go up and get Trey Lance. Um, Kingsbury probably gets an extension because he got the Cardinals to the playoffs. But because the Cardinals let uh, Jeff Wilson go for about a buck 80 on the ground (laughs) and look so dejected against a a Niner team that was living in Arizona and had nothing to play for, that, that game alone, I've said this countless times, that game alone is is why they brought in J.J. Watt because the effort wasn't there. The Cardinals had a significant advantage in personnel, certainly a quarterback, and they just looked completely dejected and out of sync. Um, and so they bring in J.J. Watt. I think the biggest addition of the offseason, though, is Rodney Hudson at center. They had a, had a below average center in Mason Cole last year. They traded a third. Their offensive line is, is super underrated. Kyler Murray was the second least hit quarterback last year. Now they get Hudson to solidify their run game. Listen, They've got some lapses on the roster. Their tight end isn't great, although I still think they're going to be sniffing around the Zach Ertz market as the summer progresses. Their secondary is not uh, superstardom outside of Buda Baker, but I, I think the roster is certainly a playoff caliber roster. But you you hit the nail on the head. I think I, um, I wrote an article for our website a couple months ago, and the Cardinals are the quintessential favorite uh, in Vegas to finish fourth in the division, not miss the playoffs, to finish fourth in the division after they've re-solidified countless positions and they've got players in their pop years. I'm not even talking about Kyler Murray. Guys like Byron Murphy, who's ready to take the next step at corner, who's the 33rd pick in the draft in in Murray's year. Buda Baker, who's a perennial all-pro. They've got two first-round inside linebackers in Xavier Collins and Isaiah Simmons. Chandler Jones is back. He didn't play at all last year outside of a couple games towards bicep. The offense... It's still got DeAndre Hopkins. They've added A.J. Green, which I know a lot of people are lukewarm about, but he's a third-tier option. They still have Christian Kirk. They they drafted Rondell Moore out of Purdue in the second round. Chase Edmonds has almost five yards per carry in his career as a running back. He's going to be the featured guy, but they brought in James Conner, who's clearly capable. I mean, they've got real pieces. But again, when push comes to shove, there is so much elite talent in the NFC West. At the end of the day, it comes down to who's running the show on the sh- on the sideline, and and that guy Cliff Kingsbury. I'm not. I'm never going to say he's a poor head coach. I've seen what poor looks like, and and that's not him. <laughs> but what I will say is that you can't go into the the maybe the most talented division between coaches and personnel that I've seen in my lifetime, and do it with a with a Texas Tech cast off that had a losing record as at his alma mater and was fired. It just is. It's really bad timing. You can't. Cliff can't learn on the job, and he would need the benefit of doing that. So that's that's why so many people doubt this team this year. So you brought up about how J.J. Watt could help out the run game. Um, sack numbers haven't really been there. The pressures haven't really been there for him over the past two seasons. But obviously, if he could help out in the run game, you don't. it, it kind of balances itself out. Getting Chandler Jones back is 
is a huge get. I think he's going to be one of those freaks that gets back to, to norm uh, like the 49ers should expect with Nick Bosa. But they did lose Patrick Peterson in the secondary. Where are you at with their secondary? Because Malcolm Butler has been a little iffy, at least in Tennessee. Um, I don't know if this is going to be a better scheme fit for him in, in Arizona or what that's going to look like. Robert Alford has had his moments as well, like pick sixing Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. Uh, so both these corners, starting corners, expected starting corners, had really, really highs, especially in the Super Bowl. But then they've also had some lows. And losing a guy like Patrick Peterson obviously doesn't help that. Where, where are you with the secondary or just their pass defense as a whole, including the pass rush? Um, so, yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head. Uh, what I will say is Byron Murphy, again, is they're, they're hyping him up to be their number one corner this year. And they should. He was essentially a first-round pick in 2019. He was the first pick of the second round. He's played well. He is physical. He's gained a lot of mass. He's going to play outside this year. He's predominantly a slot corner. So he's somebody that they're going to lean on for a huge jump in year three. Malcolm Butler and Patrick Peterson, to me, are a wash. If not, Butler at this point is a little bit better. And I've watched this team every game for the last decade. Patrick Peterson, I love Patrick. He's going to be a borderline Hall of Famer. He's going to go in the ring of honor. I mean, he, he, he has lost his ability to play press man outside. Um, I don't know what his future holds in, in Minnesota, but the, the Cardinals did not want to bring him back because his play had, had suffered. Uh, he wanted to come back to Arizona. He signed a pretty team-friendly deal with, with Minnesota. He recruited Minnesota to sign him um, <laughs> for whatever reason. So uh, Patrick is a, is a solid, on some Sundays, below solid NFL starter. Uh, Malcolm Butler played better than Patrick last year. I don't know if that's the Malcolm Butler we're getting this year. Clearly, it's their biggest weakness on the team is their pass defense. They wanted uh, <laughs> J.C. Horn in the draft. That wasn't realistic. They wanted Patrick Sertain. That wasn't realistic. Um, and I, I think a lot of people were surprised that they didn't take a corner higher. They took a couple develop, excuse me, a couple developmental guys on day three. Mm-hmm. Nobody who you think will contribute significantly this year. They're going to go all in with a bunch of number two and three corners this year. And you mentioned it. They're going to rely on their pass rush to get after the quarterback and to do it at a high level. They were fourth in sacks last year without Chandler Jones. Now they let Hassan Reddick walk, but they have Marcus Golden back, who I think on his on an average year can be a seven to nine sack guy. He's one of the best bargain deals in the NFL. That's It's just something I don't understand. Like year in, yeah. year out, the guy's consistently within the top 15 of pressures coming off the edge. And he's out here signing like $5 million deals. And it just blows my mind considering how high that position gets paid. He is so undervalued. It's it's really kind of depressing. He said he at one point just wanted to opt to retire because he felt like he was being disrespected. The team should have never let him go to New York. They traded back for him and, and he signed a nice two-year deal. So you've got him paired with Chandler Jones. And then the two inside linebackers, Xavier Collins and Isaiah Simmons in year two, Simmons could be a a sneaky guy to get eight sacks. And then on the defensive line, Zach Allen's a year three player that they're high on that was in that same Murray draft that hasn't been able to stay healthy. You mentioned Watt. They've got Jordan Phillips, who was their big defensive lineman signing last year, who was injured. I think this team is going to rely overly an abundance of, of pressure uh, and that's what Vance Joseph does. They've rushed the quarterback exceptionally well since he's been their defensive coordinator. 
their their defense will be good enough for them to get to the playoffs this year. I think there's inconsistencies and concerns with the offense if they can maintain the same level of play from week one to week 17 or week 18, I guess now, um, where the last year, what we saw was an explosion by the offense really in the first eight games. I mean, they started six and two, six and three, and then they completely fell off. And it was because the offense didn't keep putting points on the board, you know, receiving options like Kyler down. Kyler got banged up in a Thursday night game against Seattle I think there's there's more questions in my opinion with just the the receiving core and the playmaking core on offense to complement Murray. The defense to me, assuming that there are no significant injuries, which who knows at this point, I think the defense will be fine. So sticking with the defense, I think, you know, obviously I follow you on Twitter, you know, there was a big thing with Isaiah Simmons last year. It seemed like they just didn't want to play him. What kind of stuff have you heard since last season that, you know, is means that he's going to be the starter this year and he's going to be the guy that you hoped he was when you drafted him in the first round last year? So it, they, they botched his development last year. They would tell you behind closed doors they botched it. It did not help for him. He did not play three down inside linebacker at Clemson. He played all over the place. And they brought him into the NFL and said, you're going to be our, our inside linebacker, one of our two starters. And there was no OTAs, there was no mini camp, there was no rookie camp for him to learn because of the pandemic. He did everything virtually via Zoom, and you need to be on the field with your coaches. They they went from meeting him at the Combine in February of, of 2020 until training camp in August before they got their hands on him again. They went from the whiteboard at, at the Combine to training camp. So he's completely behind. And then, of course, you know everybody remembers he got exposed against – Niners and Kyle Shanahan that that week one play where he got burned by mm-hmm. Mostert on that yep. slant route and a lot of people were just like bust wrote him off he was their best inside linebacker last year by a wide margin he had the highest pro football focus marks of any inside rookie inside linebacker he made the all rookie team and he did that play about 60 to 50 percent of the time um, they just didn't trust him enough but he would flash when he was on the field He'd make a big interception against the Seattle Seahawks in overtime. He'd sack, you know, the opposing quarterback when given the opportunity, tackles for loss. I mean, he's like a gazelle out there. But the unfortunate thing is, and this is on Vance Joseph, and I've been very complimentary of Joseph as their D.C. because partially because I don't know who the Cardinals and their fan base think they're going to get at this point that's better than Vance um, that would want to come to Arizona. He, he They botched that last year. So what they do this year, right? They are trying to move off of Jordan Hicks and his cap hit. They've let Devondre Campbell walk as a free agent. Those were the two starters last year. They were two of the worst in terms of their advanced metrics via pro football focus. They've named Isaiah Simmons the starter, rightfully so. They draft another inside linebacker in the first round and announce on draft night that he is the starter because they know they botched the Simmons situation. If they would have just waited out Simmons' early developmental, you know, you're a first-round rookie. You're not going to be perfect week one to week eight. If they would have just been more patient with him and let him grow through his mistakes on the field like they let Kyler do as a rookie, they might have been a postseason team because I do believe he makes that much of a difference. I mean, he forces fumbles. He intercepts balls. I mean, he, he is – I believe – he never he may never live up to what the expectations were. I think he's going to be a really good player. Everybody thinks he looks – it says he looks phenomenal in camp. And then they got this guy, Xavier Collins, who I know they were super high on, that they wanted at pick 16. It was very well telegraphed. This was going to be their guy. 
if the board fell a certain way, they're going to try to emulate what the San Francisco 49ers did so many years ago with Navarro Bowman and Patrick Willis. They've even come out and stated that, that they believe that they've got two generational six foot four, and I think Simmons is like six foot four and a half inside linebackers. And so, while again, if, if, if you go back, you look at my tweets, and I'm, I'm certainly not always right, I was pushing for them <laughs> to draft Tristan Wolves. I thought that that would have been the pick, especially how the board fell to them. They opted to draft Simmons. I think he's still going to be a good player, could be a really good player. But at the end of the day, you know, he's got to put it all on the field this year, and they're certainly counting on him. I mean, so what, what you've seen from Zayvon Collins, I mean, the, have you seen any of the OTAs, any of the stuff from him? Like, have you seen what he's looked like out there? Because I've heard that report about the Navarro Bowman, Patrick Wilson thing you're talking about. And so it's it's interesting because, you know, they're too technically, you're looking at two first round studs that could really be, you know, impactful. But have you seen anything from Zayvon Collins like this early in the season that would make you think that that's probably going to happen? Or no, I know it's really I, early, but. Yeah, I, what's what's going to be difficult for him is the expectations, especially after what happened with Simmons last year um, and the fact that he's thrust into the starting lineup. I mean, Jordan Hicks is a, is a proud man and has been in the NFL a long time and had some really good years with Philadelphia. In his first year in Arizona, he was a good player. And the Cardinals drafted Xavier Collins and basically told Jordan Hicks, like, you're a backup. Go look for a trade if you can find somebody to take take on your money this year. I think he's owed about $9 million. I think that was a little bit dejecting for Jordan. And so that also puts, you know, increased pressure on Xavier. He's big and physical and more the part of a first-round inside linebacker that's ready to play right away because he did it at a high level at the University of Tulsa. Now, again, lesser college, you know, collegiate competition and then you mix in a pandemic year so I you know when you guys watch preseason games you know when guys typically are going to hit or not and I like to be patient like everybody else but I remember watching Daryl Washington in in his preseason debut with the second team I'm like this guy's all over the place he's he's going to be a a good player for us the same thing when, when they drafted Carlos Dansby in 2004 you just know and that position is easy I watched Simmons last year, and he was clearly their best inside linebacker. And I'm like, what are we doing, right? So I have to probably see a little bit more. Uh, I do know that another another underrated aspect of the Watt signing is what he's going to be able to do from a professional standpoint. And the Cardinals really haven't had that quintessential defensive front seven leader since Calais Campbell was allowed to walk. Watt is going to help the development of some of these younger guys that even don't play his position I mean, he was seen golfing with, with Xavier Collins the other day. That's the kind of glue stuff that we can't measure on these analytics sites that, that maybe they were missing last year. The Cardinals and Michael Bidwell certainly hope that that's the case. So I think it's too early to tell. I mean, statistically, you know, the, the metrics would tell you that one of these two guys is not going to pan out, Collins or Simmons, right? Fingers crossed that that's not the case. But, I mean, you know, first-round picks, the hit rate is, is 50-50 if that. Now, I know linebacker hit rate has a little bit higher, and how do you constitute you know who's successful and who's not? But the Cardinals need both of them to be not just good but great players given their draft status, and especially some of the guys they passed on. The Simmons situation is interesting because not only did they pass on Tristan Wirfs, who he was in the discussion for, for that pick, and they're not terrible at right tackle, but Wirfs is on a different level. There was also strong consideration to reunite Kyler Murray with CeeDee Lamb. And I know if you were to go back, they probably would have a redo and would have taken if worse wasn't available, C.D. Lamb. Lamb looks like a star for Dallas. You, you see now the fact that teams aren't shy about pairing a Waddle with Tua 
or, you know, um, Joe Burrow with Jamar Chase. And the Cardinals didn't opt to take CeeDee Lamb. They just traded for uh, um, DeAndre Hopkins. So they probably didn't think they needed it. But then you watch the team last year and they were so de- in desperate need of a secondary receiving option. And there's a there's a lot riding on on Simmons. Collins, to me, it, going going back and, and walking through this first round, the, the board was picked clean by pick 14. Mac Jones went 15. But look at the names that went 1 through 14. It was everybody that Dan Brugler and the experts telegraphed to go. So I, I think a lot of people just assume, yeah, it's, it's going to be Xavier Collins or they're going to try to trade down. So I think there's less pressure in that aspect. Whereas Simmons, they pass on some studs. So they, so they need him to be a stud. Yeah, so I want to ask you, about a couple of players that sign with the 49ers that are new to the 49ers but are old to the Cardinals. One would be Trent Sherfield, wide receiver, mainly a special teamer. Um, a lot of people are predicting that he makes the team. He makes the 53 because the 49ers went out there and got a, a, you know, a special team gunner, something that ever since they took out Raheem Mostert full-time, they had a, a, another couple injuries on the special teams last year. So they got exposed uh, as that. That's why a lot of people are predicting Sherfield makes his team. The second one is the 49ers with Jaquaski Tari. He's been inconsistent when it comes to putting a full 17 games together. So with the signing of Tony Jefferson, there, there's a chance that we may see him as a starter at some point in the season. Uh, hopefully not for Jaquiski Tarts health-wise, obviously. Um, but if we do see both these guys make the initial 53, what could they expect? I, I know Tony Jefferson is a few more years out compared to Sheffield just on the Cardinals last year. Yeah, you know, I think it's easy for me to have uh, root for both of those players because they were undrafted. Uh, Trent Sherfield in particular, uh, grew up two hours from, from my hometown in Danville, Illinois, and watched him play high school football and then went to Northwestern. Super high football IQ, somebody that you watch all the behind-the-scenes work that the Cardinals did with the NFL Films. They highlighted him in a couple different specials and just gets after it. He's a phenomenal special teams player. I could absolutely see Kyle Shanahan falling in love with this player. Clearly, they went out and targeted him and gave him, I mean, they gave him nice money. I don't know if he'll ever be a consistent receiving threat, but like it would not shock me in the slightest if they turn him into the next Kendrick Bourne for the Niners, and he was that kind of player for them. Um, he's only 25 years old. The Cardinals have, have too many higher draft picks that they've invested, the Andy Isabellas of the world, the Christian Kirks. They couldn't afford to keep Trent Sherfield on the roster. And they've got other individuals that man the same special teams, you know, gunner positions, coverage positions that are outside of the receiver. So they, they needed players on the roster that, you know, could contribute a receiver. That's not to say he can't do it. But for starters, he's going to help on on special teams. And you're going to notice him on Sundays. Um, and I, I just can't say more good things about him. And I – the Jefferson, Tony Jefferson situation is interesting um, because he has been really the one true impact undrafted free agent that Steve Kime has found. And they brought him in. They developed him. He was a really good player, probably a borderline Pro Bowl player during the Cardinals' height of the Aaron's years. The 2015 season, 
he had a couple forced fumbles, a pick six, a couple interceptions. He probably should have made a Pro Bowl that year. And then the following year, he got into a contract squibble with GM Steve Kime. And the Cardinals basically gave him a lesser tag. It wasn't the complete, full-out, restricted tag. It was one of the lesser ones that paid him a little bit less money. And they nickel and dimed him, and it was it was pretty jarring to see because, I mean, he was a really good player for them. And he got lost in the shuffle because they had Peterson and Tyron Matthew and Rashad Johnson and Gerard Powers and a bunch of these other high-caliber players. I mean, Matthew was, was an unbelievable player, as he's continued to be, and, and Jefferson was overshadowed a little bit. And so the Cardinals let him walk as a free agent after 2016, and he goes to Baltimore and has a borderline all-pro season. And then the following year, I believe, gets hurt. And then Baltimore just doesn't see the same kind of player in 2019, I want to say. He's got a bunch of money owed to him, so they cut him. Mm -hmm. And so one of the biggest question marks for the Cardinals fan base was last year. When are they re-signing Tony? When are they re-signing Tony? And even with the bad blood that existed, I think Tony would have gone back to Arizona if the offer had been there. Um, He was not healthy last year. And he had rehabbed all year from that injury that, that he suffered two years ago. So my guess is he's fully healthy now, and he's still only 29. So if you can get even 75% of what we saw at the height of his powers you know, four years ago, that's a really good complementary option for a secondary that could use some help at safety. He, he is one of the easiest players to root for. He's got um, a mean streak about him. Coming out of Oklahoma, he can cover really well. I mean, I just have the utmost respect for guys who are undrafted, who bust their butt. He was on the starting secondary as a rookie and got significant snaps in 2013. And so I think really outside of that injury for Baltimore, he would be in the conversation for one of the better young safeties in the NFL, just derailed his career. And we've seen that happen so many times. So I'm anxious to see and hope that he bounces back from it. So let's move on a little bit. Let's talk about this offense. I think you kind of alluded to it at the beginning that there's certain positions on this team that are questionable at best. And I think the number one that we could really talk about is your tight end room is something. Um, I don't think there's any team in the NFC that has a tight end room like this. Who the hell is Max Williams? He was a, he was a, uh, he was a, <laughs> Second or third round pick for Minnesota for, for Baltimore. Um, he's a blocking tight end. He's a really good blocking tight end, but he's a blocking tight end. Um, so the Cardinals, it's their biggest weakness on the team, and a lot of people think it's a luxury position, but as the Niners fans know, if you have a difference maker at the position, it can be everything. Um, the Cardinals, I think, miss. I know they misjudged the tight end market. They wanted to bring back Dan Arnold last year, a player that they had worked to develop. Sean Payton drafted him out of a Division three school in Wisconsin, Wisconsin-Platteville. They, Payton tried to stash him on his practice squad. The Cardinals scooped him in late 2019. They embedded him in Cliff Kingsbury's offense. He's 6'6", big body, not a great uh, uh, blocker, but a, a nice pass catcher, great in the red zone, had a good rapport with Murray, just under 500 yards last year, was coming along. But he was a free agent because his contract had, had expired and the Cardinals monitored his market and then the Panthers came along and paid him a bunch of money over two years. And that took the Cardinals by surprise. I know it did. 
And so that at that point in the offseason, that position had really kind of been exhausted in terms of quality free agents. And there was rumors that they were going to tr- try to trade up for Kyle Pitts. Um, that didn't transpire. Then they surprisingly passed on the tight end from Penn State in the second round of the draft. So we're kind of left with what we've got. They've been consistent since after the draft that they're going to address the position in the summer, and there could be some opportunities to improve. I actually wrote an article today from revengeofthebirds.com about how the obvious move is to trade for Zach Ertz. This team, with all the moves that they've done, they're pushing their chips into the middle of the table because they know if they don't win this year and get to the playoffs, people are getting fired. Cliff's getting fired. The GM could be fired. So, you know, pearl clutching a third-round pick next year isn't going to do you much good if, if you don't, you're not there to spend it. So um, I think that that's the obvious move to make. I know that they've had some interest. Vegas has them about fourth right now to acquire him behind a couple contenders in Buffalo and, and the Chargers in the AFC. Um, that's to me, is the obvious move. They, they don't have a, a pass-catching tight end of note on the roster. And so unless – they're interested in somebody like a Trey Burton as a free agent, which you can't be serious with that kind of addition this late. I think that that Bert, I think that Ertz is is the play. He's got Arizona ties. He's on a one year expiring contract. He's not reporting to camp. They've got Dallas guy Godard or whatever his name is ascending. They think so. I, I think that they could get Ertz for a future third or maybe a fourth. Um, and. There's some interest, I know, potentially swapping with Jordan Hicks. Hicks had a career renaissance when he played for Philadelphia. Now, again, Howie Roseman is just – he's an insane human being, their general manager, so I don't know if a deal can get done. But he's he's owed like $12 million, and he's not taking a cap hit. The Cardinals could could absorb that for a year. They'd be fine doing that. So that's the move, in my opinion, to make. I would be surprised if they don't make some kind of a trade – to get you know an OJ Howard, a David Njoku, somebody like that who's a second uh, second option on a team with a couple different tight ends. The Cardinals just have scraps. A lot of people, I mean, goodness, you guys know this. You follow your team religiously. Their fans are just insane. People talking about Larry, Larry coming back and moving to tight end, <laughs> or that the Cardinals the Cardinals are going to run yeah the Cardinals are run ten personnel hundred percent of the time, and they're not going to use a tight end. All I know is. Dan Arnold, a lot of weeks last year, was their most consistent receiver outside of Hopkins. And now he's gone, and you've added A.J. Green's corpse, who I'm not super high on, and Rondell Moore hasn't played a, a full season of football since 2018. I like Rondell Moore. He just, he's 5'7". So they need another big-bodied option. So I, I think that's the play. I would be shocked if they didn't add a tight end. So I would take that Max Williams with a grain of salt. And then Christian Kirk drops like every third down pass, right? God love him. He, he'll have explosion weeks where he'll go for a <laughs> buck 25 and have a bomb on Monday Night Football. He ended the year last year with about 225 receiving yards in the last six games. And he disappeared, maybe in the last eight games. Um, I His best is, is like you're getting another Will fuller S type of player, and that's what he looks like. And – maybe like a little bit of a Doug Baldwin Golden Tate and then he'll just disappear and he won't he'll he'll be active but he won't have a catch and so he just I don't know if it's going through the motions but he now granted he's only 24 years old he had roughly 600 yards last year so it's it's frustrating he's a big tease if you were to put it all together this year (laughs) that would do 
a god that would be a godsend to the Cardinals. But here here's what you got to know about the receiver position for the Cardinals and what it's been like. They used to draft receivers pretty consistently well. So um, Kirk was a second round pick in 2018. In 2019, they used the Rosen pick, which was the second, on Andy Isabella and took Hakeem Butler in the fourth round, the first pick of the fourth round. Both of those players are huge busts. Didn't they take Andy Isabella with DK Metcalf still on the board? They did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they took Metcalf went like two picks later. That's rough. Cliff wanted, Cliff wanted DK too, or Cliff wanted uh, Isabella too, so that makes it all the better. Um so then in the next offseason, they used a second-round pick to trade for DeAndre Hopkins. So that's the third consecutive second-round pick they use on a receiver. And then, oh, by the way, they do it again this year. They take another receiver in the second round. So they've yeah. used four consecutive second-round picks on wide receivers. And they have DeAndre Hopkins and a bunch of guys to show for it. I mean, that's the thing is the players – there's – there's missteps right here and there, but the players you have nailed, I mean, Kyler Murray's a star in this league. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. And the thing is, is you have DeAndre Hopkins, who a lot of people believe is the second or third best receiver in the in the league. And then the defense is, is full of stars. But every time we talk about the Cardinals, whether it's on Twitter, whether it's on the show, we come back to your head coach. And we talk about your head coach and how, you know, as Kyle Shanahan stands, me and Leo pretty much, like we will stand up for that man. I would stand in front of a car for that man. If he was about to get hit with a car, I would jump out in front of him. He has single-handedly turned around the 49ers from one of the worst rosters I've ever watched in my entire life to one of the best going to a Super Bowl two years ago. So we talk about your head coach and you being a fan of this team. I want to hear your thoughts on Cliff. I think we've had some kind of, we've talked a little bit about like, this is his last year, you know, in Twitter messages and stuff. But like, this is his last year. If he doesn't make it to the playoffs, he's gone. So, you know, what is your feeling about Cliff? It'll be his last year if they don't make the playoffs. Um, I don't – I will never say it was a bad hire um, because you have to – as a team that's bottomed out a few times this decade or a decade and a half, where the Cardinals were in 2018, it was, it, was a, it was a bad place to be. I love Arizona. I think everybody should want to come and play here, but that's not the case. They don't have the history – the, br- the brand is not great. It's not San Francisco. Um, Scottsdale's gorgeous, but I mean, you can only come here for you know so many reasons, and, and football is not one of them. So that that off season when they were trying to figure out who to coach a team that had a GM in house that in that got the number one overall pick and, and got to keep his job, they're not starting fresh from a, a new regime. They had Rosen, who who did not look like he could play. They were saddled with him. They had the number one overall pick. The roster was, and you guys have been through this, when your roster looks like an expansion-level roster, it's a bad place to be. So they were interviewing and had, had come down to two names because they were going to go offense because Steve Wilkes was a disaster. He was a one-and-done. He was a defensive guy. Yeah. And their offense in 2018, and I, I said this a lot at the time, and I think it bears repeating. The offense that the Cardinals had in 2018, led by Steve Wilkes, um, and Mike McCoy and Josh Rosen and Sam Bradford was the st- statistically the worst offense of, of modern NFL. It was, if you look it up, it was one of the worst, if not the worst offense of the past 20 years in the NFL. So they, they were starting from scratch in so many different ways. So they were staunch set on, on adding an offensive coach. And they had it narrowed down to two guys. It was Cliff Kingsbury um, and, and Adam Gase. They brought Adam Gase in. 
and 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 so they were balancing they were doing this balancing act with the Jets and I do believe if the Cardinals had not hired Cliff Kingsbury they would have hired Adam Gase so you have to take it with a caveat knowing that that was the, the likely outcome and I liked both of those hires potentially because Gase say what you want about him he'd been to the playoffs and I I just wanted something new and innovative offensively because I'd watched so much garbage. Um, and I love Bruce Arians, but his offense is very niche and it's a little bit historic, right? And their quarterbacks don't move. And so then you, you bring in Cliff. And, you know, once I got on board with the Kyler pick because it was so unconventional to just bail on a guy, Rosen, after one year, you know, it's, it's easy to say I'm all in. And his first year, that, that team won five games. They tied once. And they were very competitive, and their talent level was garbage. They didn't have Hopkins yet. They the roster was just a bunch of middling guys, and and Murray elevated them, and Cliff was an innovative play caller. I mean, they played the Niners tough both times that year, uh, and the Niners that was the year the Niners went to the Super Bowl. Um, and so I I was high on Cliff, and then this past year they started six and two, six and three. And then the wheels fell off in the second half of this year, and they and they lost the divisional games. They started two and zero in the division with wins over um, the Niners, of course, in the opener and Seattle, and then went zero and four to finish the year. The Cardinals, as a franchise, which this is a bigger problem than Kingsbury, they've never beaten Sean McVay. Since Sean McVay has been hired, they've never beaten him once. Bruce Arians couldn't beat him. Wilkes couldn't beat him. Of course, Kingsbury, that's his buddy. He can't beat him. So. I I think, and I, I told you guys this off air, I, I just think it's a bad timing for Cliff. I think that in a different division with a different ownership and a different place, he'd be given time to grow. I mean, hell, Zach Taylor has won like four games in two years, and nobody's talking about him being on the hot seat. And Cliff, <laughs> Cliff went 8-8 eight eight last year, and he's in, in, increased his win-loss record each of the first two years in the NFC West. And you've got everybody just trashes him on, on the side. It's because they, he's got a this mantra of this just pretty boy football and nobody thinks he earned his way to the NFL. And that's probably, he probably didn't, but he, he, he can score points in the college level. So they wanted that to translate. And they're like, let somebody else. I mean, really Kime had to put together his, his defensive staff. He didn't have any contacts. So they, they had to recruit Vance Joseph. Cliff didn't know who Vance Joseph was. So it's basically like Cliff, your side of the ball is the offense. And then hopefully you can elevate the team as a whole, as you gain credibility and I do think the players like him and I do think he can call plays at the NFL level but like he's not a great in-game manager and the the NFL is so finite in terms of the details that decide wins and losses of course he gets exposed by coaches like Pete Carroll who's going to the Hall of Fame McVay who's a prodigy Shanahan who everybody loves and his dad is an NFL legend and then you have this guy who got fired by Texas Tech like of course he's not going to be great in by comparison but again, different division, different circumstances. You probably let him work through it. You know, I, I use the comp all the time. I'm like, what if he's Jason Garrett? And people laugh at that. But Jason Garrett went to the playoffs a decent amount of times, had some success, a bunch of winning seasons, you know, mentored Tony Romo and Dak Prescott. I mean, that could be Cliff. But again, it's just this division is such a bloodbath. Um, I, I do believe that. Listen, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs this year. So, indo facto, he's probably going to get fired. They're going to have to get really down to brass tacks about 
not only who's the best fit for this franchise, if they do part ways with Cliff, and it feels crazy talking about this the summer before the season even happens, but <laughs> you, you need somebody to come in and be able to have credibility, um, like a Doug Peterson or somebody like that who's won before, who's going to be able to resonate with Kyler. Um, and I think Kyler has respect for Cliff, but I also think that, you know, he hears that outside noise. How can you not? So I, I, I think he is a liability. Um, I do think that if things break the right way, they could make the playoffs. But again, I mean, this team should be primed and ready to go. You've got year three of a rebuild, ascending quarterbacks, stars all over the roster. And you're picked to finish fourth in your division. I mean, what does that tell you about your head coach? So I, I have like a like a two-part question here. And what this is going to entail is the outside looking in. And that's what's the like thing when the 49ers match up against the Cardinals on Sundays? Like what either position group or the aspect of the game to where you're, you think to yourself, if the Cardinals are going to come out with, uh, with the win, this has to be avoided. And then on the on the reverse side of that it's what part uh, of the 49ers game must you feel the cardinals have to expose the 49ers to where you feel like the 49ers may at, at a certain detail be vulnerable uh, it's a great question i think offensively um if the cardinals are able to run the football with kyler murray they are almost unstoppable because kyler murray from an rpo standpoint i think is even more explosive than than Jim, Lamar Jackson. Uh, he has the most explosive runs in the NFL last year. So if they're able to run the football more effectively this year with Rodney Hudson, which I think they will be. So if Chase Edmonds has a, has a really nice uh, fourth season in the NFL, then this team will be incredibly difficult to stop offensively because you can mix in the play action. You've got deep threats now with both Kirk and Rondell Moore. We'll see what they get from A.J. Green, but I just I think it opens up everything, and I think that's their goal. They want to become more physical up front, and so if they're able to run the football, because last year they were too dependent on Hopkins and Kyler to play backyard football, and no play encapsulated that more than the Hail Mary, than the Hail Murray. Um, and, they, and teams yeah. adjusted, <laughs> right? I mean, Jason Verrett played Hopkins really tough in Week 16. Jalen Ramsey practically shuts down Hopkins. So there's a couple matchups in your own division where you, you can't just rely on him, even though, you know, he looked phenomenal in the opener last year. They they need some continuity and some second-tier options. So if they can run the football, uh, they're going to be very difficult to beat. And then on the flip side, um, watching San Francisco play, the, the Cardinals let them get so comfortable working off of that play-action boot on the move with C.J. Beathard last year in that Week 16 game. If if they can stop the run, coincidentally, I you know I hate to go cliches, run the football, stop the run. If the Cardinals can force whomever's playing quarterback, I'm going to guess it's Jimmy Garoppolo into into situations where it's third and long. Don't say yeah, that. Into, <laughs> Trey Lance has played one game, yeah, in like 18 months. It's going to be Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, if if they can force Jimmy to. Uh, have to throw a long down in distance that bodes well for the Cardinals. And, um, you know, the, the Niners have a sneaky good offensive line. I like the Alex Mack, uh, acquisition. The Cardinals were in on him before they acquired Rodney Hudson. Of course, Trent Williams is back, you know, knock on wood. He he's got to stay healthy. Um, so the Cardinals are going to have to lean on their two young, you know, thoroughbreds at inside linebacker and, and force Jimmy into positions where he's not comfortable. They did a pretty good job of that week one last year. 
But then on the flip side, he was awful. Yeah, he was really bad. But then on the flip side, CJ Beathard did whatever he wanted in week 16. So again, that, that to me is where, you know, the, the Niners, when they're able to run the football, they're almost unstoppable because the, Shanahan can get so creative with his with his run concepts, and then I'm you know I'm really high on the the young receiving core in San Francisco. You guys got to feel good about that. It doesn't really matter who your back is, uh, your running back that that's so interchangeable for Kyle. Um, so I think that if you're able to stop the run and force them to get into long down and distances where you know that Jimmy's going to be throwing, that's that's a good place for the Cardinals defense to be because their front seven is so predicated on rushing the quarterback and they have four or five guys that can do it i mean that's the thing that we've me and leo have said this whole time if you can force the 49ers to throw the ball it's how you beat them and you know so with the cardinals going into this season you know where do you obviously where do you think the success is going to be where do you think that they're going to be successful you know in this year three of this rebuild going into this year that you know they could surprise people you know instead of finishing fourth they could finish you know, second or third, what would be the thing that would happen for you them to be the surprising? They would have to um, find a complimentary second tier legitimate receiver to Hopkins. Somebody would have to emerge a Kirk, an AJ Green, a Rondell Moore for 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 this to, this offense to get where it needs to be, which is playoff ready, which is playoff worthy. Uh, and I think that that's not too much to ask. You know, Kirk's in a contract year. AJ Green knows everybody thinks he's old and washed up. He he signed a one year deal for for little to no money. Um, you know we'll see what they do at tight end. They have to find a, another explosive receiving option defensively. To me, it is limiting the big plays and the breakdowns and getting high production from JJ Watt. If they get production from JJ Watt that emulates anything that we've seen from peak JJ Watt or even like you know mid twenty tens JJ Watt they're, they're going to be very formidable defensively because that's just an element that they, they have not had. Um, but on the flip side, if, you know, Kyler is made uncomfortable because nobody's getting open, nobody's separating, right? And then on the flip side, Watts hurt and they can't stop the run and the secondary's thin, that's, that's when the wheels can fall off quickly because this team, especially in their back seven, they don't have a lot of depth. I like the players that they have, but they're very, incredibly thin and then they don't have uh, a Bruce Arians anymore or like what Kyle Shanahan does where you, you can win on Sundays and be competitive with below average talent. Nobody in, in Cardinal history was better than that at Bruce Arians. Bruce Arians could go 8-8 eight and eight with Blaine Gabbert and Drew Stanton with just a bunch of you know practice squad players because he's that elite of a head coach. Of course, that's not Cliff Kingsbury. Cliff Kingsbury, and that's what's so frustrating, the Cardinals were a relatively healthy team last year outside of Chandler Jones. The offense that they finished the season with is predominantly the same offense that they started it with week one against San Francisco. I mean, how many teams can say that? So I think that's an indictment on Cliff that it's like, what would you say you do here, Cliff? You're not really elevating a lot of these guys. <laughs> We're just kind of relying on the stars that we know are stars. It's a lot of it's a lot of backyard football. They just need Cliff to be better um, as an in-game as an in-game coach. That's probably number one. Actually, the 49ers uh, in 2019 took took both games last year. They split. Where do you see them going this year? I think they'll probably split again. I've got the Cardinals winning seven or eight games. I think they'll be under 500. Um, the Niners are always a team. They play tough. Um, they're 
usually blown out by the Rams uh, and the Niners and the, and the Seahawks games are usually coin flips. Um, so I think that, listen, if the Cardinals get Trey Lance at the right time, if they get Jimmy Garoppolo at the right time, that's a, that's a winnable game just because the Cardinals you would think have the superior quarterback. But I mean, they are just, they just get exposed by, you know, elite play callers too often than not. Um, so I think they end up splitting. I would, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, if San Francisco had a huge bounce back year and everybody was coming off of that, you know, Super Bowl team that was back, even though, you know, there isn't a DeForest Buckner anymore to hang your hat on. I, I think that, you know, of course the Niners could sweep the Cardinals. But again, the Cardinals swept the Niners in, in 2018 when they had the first overall pick. So it's it's yep. not a it's not a, a franchise. I don't want to say that they fear. They're just like they've been very closely equals yeah, and competitive yeah. over the past decade. The Niners have had their highs and they've been to a Super Bowl. The Cardinals have had their highs. Niners have actually been to two Super Bowls and the Cardinals have been in an NFC title game. Um, the Cardinals probably consider themselves peers with San Francisco, even though no one in the national public thinks that because of Cliff. Whereas the, the royalty in the division lies with Seattle and the Rams because of their postseason accolades year in and year out. You know, Niners are the ones to do it most recently to get to the to get to the Super Bowl. But I, every year you can just pencil in and, and people have tried to push back and say, this is the year the Rams, this is the year the Seahawks start to plateau. It just doesn't happen. So it's it, we have to predict an outlier for that to happen. Whereas, like we've seen the Cardinals and the Niners finish third and fourth, respectively, you know, every other year. So, well, it, it, it'll it'll be interesting. I think the Niners will be improved this year. It, again, I'm not the biggest Kyle Shanahan fan, but I think you can't dispute when he gets quality quarterback play that that team is very formidable, and they they've done their their own to own Sean McVay, which I think is interesting. Whereas the Cardinals can't figure him out, the, the Niners typically embarrass the the LA Rams. So. It's to me, they've got, they've got, they've done a really nice job in hitting on mid to late round picks. And that's something the Cardinals historically have never done. They've never found a Fred Warner in the mid rounds. They've certainly never found a George Kittle in the fifth round. Whereas the Niners, they might've missed on a couple first round picks, the Solomon Thomases of the world. Um, But, you know, I think they've done a very nice job on their, you know, their second mid to late round guys. Uh, I'm a big fan of, of Brandon Ayuk. Debo, if he comes back healthy this year, I mean, it's a, it's a good team. But, I, of course, is it going to be, you know, is there going to be a significant ceiling based on quarterback play? We'll have to wait and see. Well, the 49ers will see the Arizona Cardinals on October 10th of this year, and it'll be in Arizona to start the season. It'll be really interesting. Thanks for coming on, Johnny. Is there anything you want to let the people know? They can check out your podcast, anything you do on uh, revengeofthebirds.com. I appreciate you guys having me on. It was a great time. Yeah, I'm on revengeofthebirds.com, at Twitter, uh, at Johnny Venerable. Uh, it's been great hanging with you guys. Appreciate the time. It's always awesome to have you on. We'll definitely bring you on maybe before that game, around that game. We'll definitely be talking. Hopefully, um, the quarterback conversation will be interesting around that time, hopefully. Leo, is there anything you want to pitch before we end the show tonight? Believe me, Johnny, Nate is just counting the days of Trey Lance being the quarterback, which I completely can. I can I just say yeah. my favorite thing this this off season was watching Nate erupt over the <laughs> the potential that Mac Jones was going to be the quarterback. I will, like I had no nothing invested in that, 
Um, but like watching his his just assurance that it was going to be Justin Fields, I thought like, I was. It would, I was like, I was more invested that it like it, I would have been legitimately sad for Nate if it would have been Mac Jones because um, I was so invested in his tweets. And like I think Mac Jones is going to be hot garbage as well. So like that's probably would have been probably better for the Niners to take him, obviously, because apparently he doesn't look good already. But I'm just I'm very relieved for you guys that that was not the case because man that that looked really dicey for a little while. Down down in Arizona was everyone like crossing their fingers saying please Mac Jones please Mac Jones please Mac Jones. <laughs> yes yes hundred percent hundred percent hundred percent that they thought that that was our our kind of ace in the hole to keep us where we are right now um, because that that would have been just a, an egregious atrocious pick. Yeah, that was my thing on it. It's like when everybody, literally everybody else is saying, please let the 49ers take Mac Jones. That probably should not be the pick. (laughs) I think Kyle wanted him. And I, I like, no one can convince me otherwise. I think Kyle wanted him. And then John Lynch and everybody in the organization talked him out of it. And then I think part of it is, and he'll never admit to this, the fan base and the backlash would have been so insane. I think that he he knew probably it wasn't fair to Mac Jones, and then also if they if he had if he had Mac Jones as like a ninety five and a Trey Lance as like a ninety three and ninety four, you've got to go obviously with the guy with the bigger upside. I I honestly think he wanted Mac Jones, and better heads got to him in the organization, and he he was he was feeling the pressure from from the fan base and social media. I you can't convince me that didn't play some kind of a factor into it. That would have just been the most universally hated pick of all time. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we have to go down that route or else we'll end up in like a 50-minute conversation yeah. uh, discussing ultimately something that you guys never dodged happened. A bullet. You guys should feel good about that. <laughs> yeah. The reason we're doing the NFC West preview is so we don't have to talk about the quarterback because me and Leo are going to butt heads so much in July, it's going to be insane. Um, Leo, is there anything you want to pitch before we end tonight? Yeah, I just go ahead and and plug in 49ers Gold Mine on YouTube, and that's where you'll see other weekly content coming through. And you can find me at NinerNate49 on Twitter, where I tweet all things Trey Lance, not Justin Fields, because that was the pick at the end of the day. This has been the Niners Nation <laughs> Podcast. We'll see you next week. We will be having on Matt Nicholas of 950KJR in Seattle to talk about the dreaded and hated Seattle Seahawks. We will see you next week. Go Niners!